Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So enraptured to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today an interesting item. If you'll come over here to the curio, you can see inside numerous items, but it is this very curious keepsake box that has drawn my attention, and I believe will draw your eye to it as well. It is very ornately crafted, inlaid with pearl and ebony, and depicts two celestial figures, an angel on the right and a devil on the left, the angel clad in inlaid pearl, the devil ornate with ebony. And it reminded me of the subject of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at season two of the Amazon Prime series, Good Omens. So the series Good Omens came out on Amazon Prime in 2019 based on the novel by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. And it was one of those series that I'd heard about and I don't even know as if I had Amazon Prime at that point. I think I was still maybe another year away from getting it. So I didn't watch it right away. But then when I finally did watch it, my wife and I, after we got married and we were trying to find something to watch and we both heard good things about Good Omens and we both decided, hey, let's finally sit down and watch this. So we powered through, not that it took much to power through this series. Each season is only six episodes, but uh, we, we watched it straight away and both of us fell in love with this series because the the characters were so wonderful michael sheen and david tennant are just fantastic as aziraphale and crowley and one of those shows that you just couldn't wait to watch the next episode and so when it was all said and done we were quite disappointed that uh, you know it's just the one season uh at this point it had probably been at least a couple years we probably watched it in 21 maybe even 22 yeah i think it might have been last year that we we watched this so we were both so excited to find out that they were going to do a second season of good omens now of course me knowing a little more about the backstory of the novel and the two authors and that, that just got my mind turning about how this whole second season was going to play out because Terry Pratchett has been has been gone since 2015. He passed away in 2015. The novel Good Omens, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which uh, came out in 1990. So there's a big stretch between when the novel came out, uh, Terry Pratchett passing away, and then when the actual Good Omens series came to be on Amazon Prime. So there's a lot of stretches between those. And of course, now there's been another stretch of a few years between that and the second season. But with Terry Pratchett not being involved, and especially when you take into account the idea that, of course, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett have kind of talked about what they would do as a sequel. There was an actual planned sequel for the uh, Good Omens, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which uh, that they were going to do, uh, I think it was going to be called uh, 668, The Neighbor of the Beast, which 
It just plays into the whole uh, religious satire of the, of the whole series. But we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But they weren't going to do that for the second season. That's actually a planned third season for Good Omens, which I, I'm really excited about. And we'll talk about that and what we can expect with that. But what were they going to do for this second season? It was going to be an all-original story that, one, had nothing to do with Terry Pratchett. Of course, uh, he has passed away, and uh, Good Omens 3 will be based on some of the talkings about what they would do for a sequel, but this was completely a Neil Gaiman-inspired story. And of course, he co-wrote it with uh, another writer, uh, John Finnamore. So I was really interested to see how this was going to, you know, did, was it going to have the same tone without Terry Pratchett's involvement in the writing of the story? Was it going to have the same feel? And was it going to feel the same as the first one, because like I said, my wife and I loved that first season of Good Omens uh, so much that, uh, you know, you really run the risk of, you know, just things not living up to that magical first season. You see that time and again in various, uh, especially adaptations, but series in general. Now, before we get too spoilery, I do want to say I ultimately did like this season. It was an enjoyable season. Was it the first season? No. And I, I've heard a lot of complaints, uh, people saying it's boring. If you make the argument that the season was boring, I can't disagree with you completely. Uh, it was a slower moving season. I will say that. I wouldn't call it boring. It was very much a lot of character development and about uh, a lot of relationships between the characters and those developing. And you get to uh, a lot of the backstory of Aziraphale and Crowley. And so, you know, I could see that took time to, to draw out uh, there was no big world-ending event that they had to avert. Like the first one, they were trying to avert the apocalypse. And you didn't have some big action set pieces. Uh, it, there really wasn't the eminent impending doom that you got with that first season. So, yeah, I can understand. You know, I, I can't completely disagree with anyone that says the season was boring. Like I said, I didn't find it boring, but it was very much a character development type of season it was smaller in scope where you know the first one like i said you're trying to stop the apocalypse this the stakes weren't that big although there were some stakes and there was a mystery and there was a climax that did have some ramifications and uh, some you know some stakes but nothing as big as saving the world saving the universe, saving existence as we know it. And there was a bit of a reveal at the end that I, I've i got my thoughts on it. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it here because, you know, I'll get, I'll get too spoilery in that. But there was a, a big reveal at the end that I, I don't know exactly how they're going with this. And I don't know as if it is entirely necessary. And, and I'll, I'll get to the weather twos and the why fours of, of how I feel about that and, and what I think about that when we get into the spoiler section. Because if you haven't watched this, I don't want to ruin anything for you. But all in all, I did like this season. Was it as good as the first season? No. I think the problem with this season was that there wasn't any bigger picture. There wasn't a big, like I said, in the first season, 
you're stopping Armageddon. In the second season, there is something bigger going on that, again, I can't say too much about it right now because I don't want to spoil anything, but you have a, a bigger event. And this kind of felt like, okay, Neil and Terry came up with Good Omens. Uh, they came up with this sequel to Good Omens, and you need a little bridge to get from one story to the next. And this was that season. That's why I think it was a little lower key. It was a little lower stakes. It was a little lower in scope. Was it as good as the first season? No, it was not. But I still enjoyed it. Still enjoyed it enough. When you've got such a fantastic cast like Michael Sheen and David Tennant, those two as Aziraphale and Crowley are just brilliant. Uh, they're they're personal, you know, they're friends in real life, and you really get that chemistry on the screen with them. John Hamm, while the Gabriel character in the original book, the Good Omens, the Nice and Accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which he's mentioned in it, but he's not as big a character as he is in the first season. And he is a major character in this season. It was nice to see him get featured in this because he really stole a lot of the scenes he was in and was an enjoyable addition to the main cast of this season. And one of the things my wife and I both really enjoyed about this season was all the stuff with him in it. And he has a, a, an awkward storyline, but a an integral storyline in telling the story that they wanted to tell this season. And again, I'll get into all the nuts and bolts of that once we get into the spoilery section. But ultimately, I, it was an enjoyable enough season. Was it a great season? No. Did it live up to the first season? No. That doesn't mean it's not a good season. It doesn't mean it was a bad season. It was just kind of, like I said, a bridge from one big event to another big event. And makes me really excited to see, especially given where they left it off. I mean, a lot of people are pissed off about that. And I'm like, you've only seen part of the story. There's still a third act to come. So, you know, get your panties out of a bunch and and relax. A lot of people uh, messaging Neil Gaiman saying that he ruined their life. You got to knock that shit off. I mean, Jesus, these are just fictional characters. If you're living your life vicariously through fictional characters, uh, that's a sad existence and you got to go out and live in the really real world. But at any rate, at the end of the day, it was an entertaining enough season. Uh, like I said, you know, a, a nice bridge to get us to the next big story, I think, that uh, that we're looking forward to in Season 3. So if you haven't watched Good Omens Season 2, go check it out on Amazon Prime. Uh, then come back and listen to my thoughts on it. We're going to get a little spoilery from here on out. Uh, if you have watched it or you don't care one way or the other, and you're just going to... You're going to hang out and, and listen, and you don't care about spoilers. Uh, we're going to press on, but from here on out, there are going to be spoilers. So we're ultimately going to talk about this in essentially two storylines. We're going to talk about Aziraphale and Crowley. We're going to talk about the John Hamm Gabriel character and where that story goes. And to keep things from getting too confusing, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the story arcs uh, of these two main stories in this season. And we're going to talk about them separately. But it all kind of comes together at the end. So the big thing about this season was, uh, like I said, it's smaller scope and smaller scale than 
the season one. So you really have time to get to know these characters and really get to see the backstory uh, even more so than you saw in the first season of Good Omens. And that's one of the things I really liked about this because you got to see more of the introduction of these two characters together. I mean, the first scene, it is Crowley and Xerophil out in, in the middle of space. And Crowley is the angel. This is back when he was still an angel. Is integral in the creation, the big bang, how everything came into existence. The let there be light line. He was told to speak that. And this is where we see these two characters meet. And throughout the episode, actually throughout the season, you get a lot of these little meet and greet sections because they had these, uh, of course, they did a Good Omens lockdown special. It was the 30th anniversary of the book coming out. And they did a little, and this was going on during the pandemic, May of, of 2020. And they did a little mini-sode, as they call them. And, and all it was, it was just a bunch of uh, graphics and little nondescript hand movements of stuff. But it's a phone conversation between Aziraphale and Crowley uh, about dealing with the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic and being in lockdown, which is actually really fun. You can go find that on YouTube and, and listen to that. It's only like three minutes long. But uh, but they did that and they did a couple other uh, mini-sodes, uh, the Companion to Owls, the Resurrectionist, and Nazi Zombie Flesh Eaters. Uh, and, and they incorporated these mini-sodes into these at various episodes. I believe episode two, three, and four had had these mini-sodes incorporated. And all of these mini-sodes go back in history to a moment where Aziraphale and Crowley meet up and build their friendship, build their relationship. Uh, the first one was the story of Job. The resurrectionist had to deal with their uh, involvement with a gray robber. The Nazi zombie flesh eaters happened during World War II and I believe 1941 London during the Blitzkrieg. And these Nazis uh, get killed and brought back to life to hunt down Aziraphale and Crowley. But each one of these little mini-sodes, these little mini-episodes within the bigger episode helped to give you some context and, and see, got to see how these two characters who are totally opposite. You know, they start out as both angels, then Crowley falls with Satan and his minions, and they're on opposite teams, but then they come together in various moments and learn to appreciate one another. And I think that's one of the things I really like about this series and these two characters that you have these two polar opposites. One is an angel, good, incarnate, and the other is a demon, wickedness, incarnate. And how they still get along and they still appreciate things about one another. And I thought it was really interesting. I saw an interview with uh, Michael Sheen and David Tennant where they were talking about what their character likes about the other character. And they both really kind of agreed that the characters like about the other character what drives them nuts. You know, Crowley, the wide-eyed innocence and the constant adhering to the rules and the goody two-shoenesses of Xerophil drives Crowley nuts, but that's what he likes about the character. 
Uh, and I, I kind of take that to mean or, or read into that, that, you know, Crowley longs to maybe have a little part of that, to, to be a little part of that, to, to go back to that. Uh, you know, he's he's gone too far and he's never going to be an angel again. Uh, and we find that he has the opportunity and chooses not to at the end of this uh, season. But he still... You know, he admires that aspect of Aziraphale as much as it drives him nuts because, you know, he longs to to be a little bit like that, to be uh, not such a, a bad guy all the time. And I think the same can be said for Aziraphale and to, to Crowley. You know, he the thing that drives him nuts about Crowley is Crowley is just constantly doing bad things and breaking the rules and not doing what he's supposed to and being a rebel. And, and that goes against all of his good nature. But for a, a brief second from time to time, he's like, I think I, I might like to break that rule because, you know, rules are made to be broken when the rules hurt other people. And, and we see a lot of instances where, uh, you know, Crowley's supposed to do something bad, but he helps somebody out because he doesn't like being told what to do. Aziraphale is a kind of guy that uh, is is always by the books, but sometimes by the books ends up hurting other people. And so he's willing to break those rules. And, and I think what drives each character nuts about the other is the thing they admire most about them to a degree. And I, I really love that dichotomy between these two characters and what makes these characters so freaking interesting. And the fact that these two characters have been around for millions of years, even even longer than that. You know, they were there, the creation, and the fact that they've known each other, and then they've been friends for 6,000 years, and had this relationship that they've been building for 6,000 years. Uh, you know, after you've been friends that long, you come to, uh, is like I said, as much as you probably, they drive you nuts with, all their idiosyncrasies, you learn to respect them. You learn to love them. And it's just really interesting to see how these these characters have developed their relationship over the past several thousand years. And, and we really got a glimpse into that. Now, granted, it, it takes a long time to go through all of this. And like I said, it's a lot of character development. It's a lot of relationship development within those characters. And I know a lot of people probably feel like that is a little boring and yeah, it didn't make for exciting television. It wasn't exciting as trying to stop the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but it was very interesting from a from a character standpoint. Now there were a lot of things that just felt kind of unnecessary. John Hamm's Gabriel comes to them uh, naked and afraid, and he's lost his memory. And to keep the angels and the demons. From discovering him at Aziraphale's bookshop, they perform a miracle together, uh, Aziraphale and Crowley, to make it so nobody knows he's there or nobody, nobody notices him there. And when the angels come a-knocking to find out why they did this or why Aziraphale was a part of this miracle, he says that, uh, well, he did it to, to make these two shopkeepers across the way fall in love. Now, while I did enjoy these characters because they were uh, the actresses I, I really enjoy, uh, you've actually seen them. They were in season one of Good Omens. They both played sisters at the Chattering Order of St. Beryl. 
<laughs> they were uh, Nina Sosanya, hopefully I'm pronouncing that name correctly, and Maggie Service. They actually play Nina and Maggie, uh, a couple shopkeepers where Aziraphale's bookshop is. And Nina has a partner, Maggie has a crush on her and is in love with her, and they're trying to get the two of them together. It just felt like, I I don't know, it really felt like we're just doing this to do this because it really, the story never went anywhere and they were trying to give them more agency or more reason to be there than they actually had. And they ultimately didn't end up together in the end anyway. So it just, uh, it, it felt kind of like just giving them a reason to be there. Like I said, I really enjoyed both actresses. I thought both actresses played these characters really well. And I think in a different story, that whole storyline may have been a little more interesting. But when I just want to figure out what's going on with Aziraphale and Crowley and Gabriel, that little side story just didn't really carry a lot of weight for me. Like I said, in spite of the fact that the two actresses that played these characters were brilliant and and they had some very funny moments, uh, especially Maggie Service had some really, I mean, she's quite funny as an actress and played some comedic moments very well. And it really felt like that whole storyline and the involvement of Aziraphale and Crowley with that story felt like we've got to give Aziraphale and Crowley something else to do other than just the solving the mystery of Gabriel and why his memory is gone. And ultimately where this Aziraphale Crowley story is going, you kind of caught glimpses of it throughout the flashbacks, all those mini-sodes that they incorporated into this season. Uh, You saw glimpses of that because something would be said about relationships and the Aziraphale Crowley dynamic, and you'd get little little glimpses from Aziraphale, like, uh, you know, essentially insinuating that he has affection for Crowley in a romantic way. You have, uh, especially the Nina character, I remember her asking, maybe Maggie as well, I don't know. Uh, but the Nina character on on a couple of occasions suggested that Crowley and Aziraphale are in a romantic relationship, are partners. As the present day story keeps continuing, you keep seeing Aziraphale uh, getting more and more emboldened to express how he feels about Crowley. And it all just went down a little rushed, a little forced. After the events of the climax, you have Metatron taking Aziraphale out to talk to him, and Nina and Maggie have a sit down with Crowley and essentially have to convince him that he loves Aziraphale too and and it's just like I was like I, I don't know as if that works I don't think you can be convinced to have romantic feelings for somebody but Aziraphale comes back they have that big kiss and then everything goes to shit when Aziraphale tells Crowley that he has been uh, named the new archangel to replace Gabriel we'll get to why that happens here uh, briefly but Aziraphale has the power to make Crowley an angel again and Crowley doesn't want that. He wants to stay a demon uh, with really no strong allegiance to hell or Satan, but he just wants to remain free to do what he wants and not to be confined by the strictures of rules and regulations that angels have to go by, that Aziraphale insists he wants to go by. And of course, it all ends with that heartbreaking scene where you've got the end credits, but you've got this kind of not even a split screen, but on each side of the credits, you have one 
view of Crowley driving away in his Bentley and the stern look on his face as he's driving away. You've got another on Aziraphale as he's in the elevator going up to heaven and he looks... Uh, there's a bit of consternation, but a, a forced smile, and it's just very awkward and very sad because, uh, you know, no matter how you feel about the romantic relationship implications that they're they're putting forth with this, uh, they are two friends, two very close friends. They've been close for six thousand years, and to be them to to see them torn apart like this uh, is it is heartbreaking. And it was a very jarring final credit scene with, with those two uh, kind of on opposite sides of the screen. And it really very much physical manifestation of the rift between these two characters, which made for such a, a very down ending to this series or this season, which there, like I said, you know, a lot of people are upset about this because, you know, they love these characters and they don't want to see them torn apart like this. But it's not the end of the story. Just fucking relax and wait for season three. Now, granted, we may be waiting a while because we've got the whole big writers and actors strike going on. But hopefully once that gets resolved and Neil Gaiman even said that when everyone asked him, is there going to be a season three? He says if it wasn't for the writer's strike, he'd be working on it right now. So there is going to be a season three eventually. We just kind of have to wait till it all plays out. But I thought this was a very... A very Empire Strikes Back kind of ending to this second season where, uh, yeah, like I said, it just ended on such a down note and just left a very defeated feeling inside of you, especially if you love these characters. Now, the other kind of side story, I'd call this, if the Nina and... Maggie's story is a, I would call that a tertiary story. You've got Aziraphale and Crowley as your, your main story. And then this B story with Gabriel played by John Hamm, who, like I said, he shows up to Aziraphale's bookshop buck naked. Uh, I'm sure my wife loved it. I wasn't so keen on seeing John Hamm's bare ass on the screen, but here we are. But showing up carrying nothing but a box, has no memories. Uh, he just knew he had to go there. And of course, the whole conflict of this season is trying to figure out what's going on with Gabriel, protecting him from both the angels and the demons, uh, trying to figure out what happened to his memories. There is some tie-in with the Buddy Holly song. And it really did feel like a big song and dance number just to get to the point where uh, it, it's essentially... Uh, we see through flashbacks in when when John Hamm's Gabriel finally gets his memory back. So we get all these flashbacks of him over the years since the end of season one, him meeting up with Beelzebub. At first, it is just procedural, kind of the you know the leaders of two factions, heaven and hell, kind of getting together and just going over the ramifications of everything. And then they start to enjoy each other's company. And then they start enjoying, uh, you know, sharing each other's likes and dislikes. And there's the... Uh, a love of this, a mutual love for this song by Buddy Holly that's featured throughout this whole season until this turns into a bit of a, a romance. And of course, there is an aspect of this that ties in that really feels a, a little, little awkward. It really didn't feel like it had a place in the bigger story between 
Beelzebub and and Gabriel, all the archangels get together after the apocalypse is thwarted. They're going to destroy the earth anyway. And Gabriel doesn't want to uh, because now he has uh, this budding relationship with Beelzebub. Understandably so. I, I failed to mention that uh, Beelzebub in this season is played by the wonderful and lovely actress Shelley Kahn. Of course, you probably know her from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory back in 05. She was in that TV series Terra Nova, which I actually really liked. I think that I was, uh, I was upset when that was canceled because I thought it had a, a lot of potential. Uh, back in 2011, of course, she's in Bridgerton, which that's not my jam, but my wife probably knows her from that. Uh, so Shelley Kahn plays Beelzebub and uh, does a, a really wonderful job. But John Hamm's Gabriel is meeting up with her on Earth, and he doesn't want to wreck that. He doesn't want to wreck this budding relationship, so he doesn't go along with the other archangels. There's a trial. He's kind of given the boot. They're going to wipe his memory and take all his clothes, so he leaves his clothes, puts his memory in the fly, and then uh, eventually gets them back. But not before we have to see John Hamm's ass as he shows up at Aziraphale's bookshop. And really all of that, the whole relationship between Beelzebub and Gabriel, is to mirror the relationship between Crowley and Aziraphale. And while uh, Gabriel and Beelzebub get to go live together on a planet in the Alpha Centauri system, uh, Aziraphale and Crowley don't have as happy an ending. Now, where does that leave us off for next season? I don't know, and I'm not really sure where they're going to take this uh, Aziraphale-Crowley relationship. Uh, I mean, there's one of two ways you can go with this. Uh, you can either go the they're in a romantic relationship route, or you can stay the course with what they've done so far and make this sort of a uh, a non-conventional relationship. I mean, you've got these two characters that have been around for thousands of years. Of course, they've developed a friendship. They've developed a an affection. They've uh, developed a love for one another. And Neil Gaiman has always said that this really is a love story, but you can you can have a love story without it being a story about a sexual romance. And that's where I worry they're going to take this. Uh, now, of course, they've even said, uh, I don't know if Neil Gaiman's come out as saying it. I, I know like Michael Sheen and David Tennant have said before in various interviews that, you know, you can't label them gay or bi because they are genderless celestial beings. David Tennant's character, uh, Crowley, even mentions that somebody says good boy and he he's like, I'm not one of those uh, because he's not boy, not girl, non-binary in the truest sense. And I just worry that they're going to take this down a more romantic road and make this more of a romantic relationship between Aziraphale and, and Crowley. And I don't know if I want that. Uh, because I enjoy these characters. I enjoy the dynamic of these characters as it is. And, and granted, I, I know it's not my story and you, you've got to mix things up. You can't just keep going with the status quo. But I really like the dynamic between these two characters. The, the good and innocent and wide-eyed angel. The cynical and snarky evil demon. And how they play against that kind of odd couple dynamic and, and dichotomy of these two characters. You throw romance into the mix and then all of a sudden 
that dynamic changes drastically. Now, I know the way they left this, that there is no romance because they're they're both pretty, seem pretty pissed off at each other. But I think that is one of my biggest concern is how they're going to handle this. Of course, there was the big kiss, but it wasn't a romantic kiss. And of course, you can have a kiss without it being a, a sexual thing. You can have two people who have a fondness and a love for one another and it not really have anything to do with sex. It's not because I don't want to see these two characters be a gay couple. It's not that. Because like I said, Neil Gaiman and the actors even said at times that gay, bi, whatever, that's that doesn't apply here because they are they are not human beings. They are genderless, like I said, celestial beings. It's not a matter of gay, straight, whatever. My biggest concern is the romance factor. If you throw romance into the mix, it can really change the dynamic of these characters. That is one of the reasons I love this series and these characters so much is their dynamic. And part of me is afraid that Neil Gaiman may take this down a more romantic road because if you've seen any of his tweets, I mean, he is very much... Uh, when people call him out on social issues like that, like whether the characters are gay or not, he comes back hard. And and when there are social issues that are brought up to him, he comes back hard in the opposite way as a kind of a thumb in his nose at, at the people who get all upset and worked up over these sorts of issues. So I could see him changing the intent of where he wanted to go with these characters or, or where he had planned these characters to go just as kind of an F you to the people that have a problem with the characters being gay. To me, I, I get the point. I get where he's going with that and the the intent of doing it like that. But to me, if you're changing characters, whether it is you know, thumbing your nose at the the people that have a problem with that or catering to the people that are shipping these two characters and want them to be in a relationship because that's what they, you know, that's their life experience. Catering to fans in any way like that really is a detriment to any show. And to me, it's disingenuous to the characters that people fell in love with. So I, I'm really hoping... That's not the way he's going with this, just as kind of an F you to people that have a problem with gay characters. To me, it doesn't matter if that's the characters he wants to write. Like I said, I just hope the romance doesn't get in the way of the already fantastic dynamic between these two characters and the fantastic dynamic that these actors put forth in portraying these characters. Because Michael Sheen and David Tennant are good friends in real life. And that sort of chemistry and that sort of uh, dynamic is is something special. And to bring that to these these two characters on the screen is something special. And I, I just don't want like a forced romance uh, with these characters to become a detriment, to become an anchor around the neck of the fun that you have with these two characters and the back and forth. But like I said, I trust Neil Gaiman. Uh, I trust the the character. They're his characters. Uh, him and, and, and Terry Pratchett, I, I trust that he's going to do what's best for the characters and not just a bunch of fan service or, like I said, thumbing your nose at, at the other people that, that, that have a problem with, with various things social-wise. Uh, I, I trust that he's going to do what's right for these characters that he's created, ultimately. And uh, I have really enjoyed this series so far. While I said the, the second season wasn't quite as good as the first one, I'm looking forward to the third season because 
uh, of all the care that has been put into this series. I mean, like I said, this is Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's child, the the story. And, you know, they put a lot of work into that first novel. Uh, Neil Gaiman has put a lot of work into making sure that this series was done right. Same with The Sandman. I watched an interview where he was talking about, you know, somebody asked, this is before the first Sandman season came out he was they were like when are you going to do an adaptation of Sandman and he said he's gone through great pains to keep horrible adaptations of the Sandman from ever being produced uh, because he loves the characters that he created so much and only wants to see what's best for these characters and when the right adaptation came along with Netflix uh, he jumped on it and has been very integral in that same with Good Omens I mean he's been integral with this from the get-go. He wrote all the episodes in season one. In season two, he, he co-wrote the episodes with John Finnamore. Uh, he's, he's been very integral in this. You know, like he said, if it wasn't for the writer's strike, he'd be writing season three as we speak. And it's that sort of care that goes into writing these episodes. And I love the fact also that these episodes are all directed by the same director. Douglas McKinnon has directed every episode of Good Omens. And that's why you kind of have this singular vision uh, from the writing, from the directing. Uh, the the look of it is, is stunning. I tell you what, the special effects, both practical and digital, are just wonderful to watch the cg is pretty darn good and and the cg that doesn't quite doesn't quite hit it still has a certain quality to it that lends itself to the fantasy of all of this storytelling and and that's one of the things like i said i I love the singular vision you have the same writer same director you have a very visually comparable look to each season where, you know, it, it doesn't feel like it's a different season. Each episode doesn't feel like a, a different show from the last episode you watched. And and everything looks wonderful. Everything's so vibrant looking. And wonderful actors are, are playing these parts, these, these fantastic roles. I think that's what I love about this show. It's not only a really good story, not only a really interesting and engaging story, but it is also from a technical standpoint. It is, like I said, a singular vision. And, and we all know uh, from Star Wars that when you have a singular vision, like the original trilogy, uh, you get a masterpiece. Even with the prequel trilogy, you have a singular vision. And while it was a uh, CG fest shit show, as far as looks and Jar Jar Binks, it still was a singular vision and still, I think, an interesting story. It wasn't until you get to the sequel series where it's like everybody's doing their own thing and you get the shit show that is the sequel series. Uh, That's what I like about this is that you don't have that. It is everybody on the same page from Jump Street, from episode one, season one, through episode six of season two. It's the same people putting forth the same great content and and doing it stunningly visually and engaging and charismatic with the actors. And it makes me look forward to what's coming in season three, because season three really is the the true sequel to Good Omens season one. Uh, it is the story that Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett 
had kind of talked about and mulled some ideas over with. So that is going to be the real sequel. This season two, I think the problems people have with it are a result of it just being kind of a bridge episode between the the main story, the first story, and the the real sequel to that story. And it's, you know, as we see in the uh, the end, when Metatron is talking to Aziraphale, it is going to be about the second coming. It'll be really interesting to see what they do with that. Uh, there was also a line at the end of season one. Uh, I can't remember if it was in the story or the book, but... You know, the talking about the real Armageddon, the real apocalypse is going to be when the armies of uh, heaven and hell go up against the humans. And are we going to see that in season three or maybe that's a, a another season altogether? Who, who knows? But I'm really excited to see where they go with this, because uh, on top of the singular vision of the director and the writers and the, the wonderful acting and the stunning visuals and the, the pretty damn good CG, when you've got those uh, wonderful CG shots that adds such a, a bit of fantasy to this, uh, just adds to the look of this whole thing. When you've got that on top of the religious satire of this series, I think it just, it, it's one of those series that just, it's wonderful to watch, but it also makes you think. And I know there are some groups out there, staunch religious groups that have tried to get this show canceled. Uh, they sent petitions to Netflix and HBO, which... This show is on neither one of those. It's Amazon Prime, for God's sake. Know what you're talking about before you go trying to shut it down. But at any rate, I, you know, I'm a person of faith, but I can still watch this and enjoy it and enjoy the religious satire because I, I think that's one of the things, uh, you know, one of the messages of this. Uh, like the whole thing with Job. The subtext of that is it's not a sin to ask God why. Why, why did you do this? Why are you doing it this way? Why does this have to be this way? It's not a sin to ask God why. It's when you act on that and rebel against him, that's where things become dicey. But it's not a sin to ask why. And I think this series is one of those series that the, the religious satire in it uh, is such that it makes you ask the tough questions. Why does God do this? And you can look at it as a test of your own faith. You know, if you've got a reasonable answer or or maybe you don't have an answer, but you still leave it up to God, uh, then, you know, whatever. That's that's a test of your faith. If if it shakes your faith, how strong was your faith to begin with? If if somebody asking these questions uh, makes you no longer believe, then then your faith wasn't that strong to begin with. And I, I think anything that makes you question what you believe and, and not believe blindly I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I said, the the book of Job and the story of Job is a, a prime example of that, that just because you ask God why doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Uh, you might not like the answer he gives you, or, or you might not like the answer that is presented before you, but asking God why he does something, why, why did this have to happen, that's not a sin and it's not a bad thing. And giving yourself pause to question what you believe I think is a good thing, and it shows like this that that make you. And, you know, whether you're a person of faith or, or not a person of faith, uh, I think it is one of those shows that, that makes you ask a lot of deep, religiously philosophical questions. And maybe there's answers, maybe there's not. Maybe this show is just there to, to shed a light on, on things that we, we take for granted. 
And that is why this show is such a wonderful show. Uh, on top of the fact, great writing from Neil Gaiman, great directing from Douglas McKinnon, uh, great acting from, from the fantastic cast headed by Michael Sheen and David Tennant, and, and the visuals of this show, the sets and the set dressers and, and all of it. Uh, just a, a fantastic show. Like I said, this second season... To me, wasn't as good as the first season, but it wasn't the same as the first season either. It's a different season. It's different stakes, and it was still enjoyable. And that really is the barometer for me when I'm watching something. It's not whether something was perfectly written. It's not whether it was perfectly directed. It's not whether it was perfectly acted. It's not whether uh, there's story holes. And, and there were. There were some There were some loose plot threads throughout this season but as long as you're entertained and that really is to me the litmus test of whether I think a series or a show or a movie is good was I entertained and just on the sheer performance of Sheen, Tennant and Ham uh, I was thoroughly entertained you add all the other really good actors on top of that and yeah I was very much entertained so even if this wasn't a season as good as the first season, and it may not be as good as the third season, or maybe it'll be better than the third season. We we yet to find that out. We'll know once the third season's out. But but regardless of where it ranks in the pantheon of how good the season was compared to the other seasons, it was still an enjoyable season and one I enjoyed watching. My wife did too. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Good Omens Season 2. Looking forward to the third season coming up. Uh, If you haven't watched it, well, I probably spoiled a shit ton of stuff for you. But you knew that going into this. You should have known. I, I talked about it earlier. And maybe maybe you were like, well, I don't I don't care if you get anything spoiled. Maybe now I've given you pause and you've thought, well, I might like to give them their good omens a little try. And you'll go back and watch them. Uh, things will still be spoiled for you, but uh, I didn't give everything away. Not the like the play-by-play of it. So there, there should be some surprises, but uh, hopefully... Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did and are looking forward to Season 3 as much as I am. I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Good Omen Season 2. You can check out more on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our socials, uh, Facebook and Instagram. I'm always posting trailers and articles I find from all over the internet, adding my two cents on the horror fantasy and science fiction that uh, that I'm posting about or that I'm sharing articles from other places about. Uh, always posting Try to find interesting memes, try to find, you know, birthdays and whatnot uh, to post on Instagram and other stuff and then keep you, uh, regardless of any of that extracurricular stuff, uh, both those social media sites is where you can keep up to date on the newest episodes of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. And another way to do that is, no matter where you listen to this podcast, subscribe to it, follow it, like it, whatever it's called on your particular platform of choice, do that and stay up to date uh, with all the newest episodes as they come out. We're going to have, uh, a f- we had a few episodes. I had a bonus episode last week uh, because I watched a video on demand that I really liked on top of the the shows that were wrapping up that I talked about. Uh, this is another week just like that. Of course, we're talking about uh, Good Omen Season 2 today. Uh, we're going to be talking about Twisted Metal Season 1 uh, coming up on Thursday's show. And I watched a... Interesting 
uh, video on demand movie, Natty Knox, starring Robert Englund, Danielle Harris, Bill Mosley. Really interesting movie. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of that on our bonus episode. Uh, Sometime probably Wednesday or Friday we'll drop that, uh, depending on where we're at with the other episodes. But uh, be listening for that. And no matter what you do, please share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha.